Um, yeah, if you don't know me, my name is Sarah. I am the worship coordinator here at Walker. Um, today, though, we had our good friend Sam. Woo, Sam! Um, he is from South Harbor and came to help us out today. So he also comes every now and then if you know him. He's a good friend of Walker, so thank you. Um, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for gathering us together. Thank you for your people who can encourage one another, spur each other on. God, we pray that whatever comes out of my mouth today will be honoring and glorifying to you. You are good, and we love you. Amen. Well, as Wally mentioned, we are going through the whole book of Matthew in a year. And that actually is really fast because I had about a million things I wanted to say today and that would take forever. So I picked my favorite. And then maybe next time we'll do it, you'll get one of those other messages I could have given you. <laughs> but our text today is one you've probably heard before. If you've been in church a while, you've heard it a lot of times. When it comes to reading scripture passages that we've heard over and over, Rabbi David Foreman warns of what he calls the lullaby effect. This is what happens when you are so familiar with something that you forget to ask any questions of it. Kind of like the lullaby, well, out of lullabies, but let's take example, Rockabye Baby, right? You've all heard it, you all know it, but have you listened to the words of it lately? Let's, let's try it together. We just sang. We can do it again. Ready? Rock-a-bye baby on the treetops. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bough breaks, the cradle will fall. And down will come baby, cradle and all. Wow, okay. <laughs> I don't know who thought that would be an appropriate way to soothe children when they're trying to get to sleep. Is the baby okay? Did anyone call 911? I have some follow-up questions. Well, our text today is not horrifying like Rockabye Baby, but it is likely just as familiar, maybe to you, and it does beg some follow-up questions. Like I said, I, there's so many things I could say about this, so I'm gonna say my favorite things. And um, now you know why Matthew, going through Matthew in a year is really fast. So let's go ahead and do it. If you have a Bible, let's turn to Matthew 5, 13 through 16. It'll also be on the screen. We left off with Jesus teaching on this foothill, which, and he was teaching what was probably the most famous sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. If you were with us last week, you'll remember Wally walking us through the beginning of the sermon with what we call the Beatitudes, now, when I was a kid, I thought that be attitude meant, like, I needed to be these attitudes. Like, here's a list of things I needed to be. I know that's silly, but that's what I thought. But like Wally said last week, be attitude actually means extreme blessedness. So Jesus' intro to his sermon wasn't a to-do list, but a list of extreme blessing. Blessings for the poor, the hungry, the meek the merciful, then in light of these blessings and in light of who we now are as blessed children of God, here is how he wants us to live. 
So this is what Jesus says when he goes on in Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of our Lord. I will admit to you that not unlike Rockabye Baby, this passage has always made me feel a little uncomfortable. I read it and I think I need to become an evangelist. Like, what does it mean that I'm the salt of the earth, that I'm the light of the world? Is it saying that I need to grab a megaphone and hit up the street corner and start evangelizing? Does it mean I need to go start knocking on doors and asking people if they know Jesus? Because I want people to know Jesus, but I don't really want to do that. I'm not a preacher. I mean, I'm preaching to you right now, but I'm not a preacher. How is a regular person supposed to be salt and light? In Colossians 4, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Colossae, asking for prayers and giving them instructions. This is what he says in Colossians 4, 2 through 6. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul and his companions are writing this letter to the church. They're on a missionary journey, and they're asking for prayers as they go out and proclaim the gospel, that they might declare it clearly and boldly, and that they will have opportunities. Paul sees this as his job. He's an evangelist, gifted and called for this mission. And we have these people today, too. Wally, for example who preach and declare the gospel with clarity and boldness until groups of people. And Paul says to this church, pray for them. Then Paul gives instructions for the rest of them. And he says, now here's what I want you to do. Colossians 4, 4, 5, and 6. Yes. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He wants the people to pray for and support those specifically called to preaching. And he tells them, now what I want you to do is make the most of every opportunity. Season all of your conversations with grace, with salt, and I want you to know how to answer everyone. What does he mean when he says answer everyone? Doesn't this imply that someone's asking a question? Peter implies the same thing in 1 Peter 3.15 when he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
pastor and author, church planter, all around awesome person, I'm a total super fan, Michael Frost. He, when he was talking about um, becoming an evangelist, he said this, and he says it in an Australian accent. So just imagine it sounding way cooler than I'm about to say. But he says, I don't think that Paul thinks we're all evangelists. I don't think that Paul thinks we should all be trying to put our foot in the door and pry open opportunities to boldly proclaim the gospel to people. I think Paul thinks there are peculiar people in our midst. I just called you peculiar, Wally. Did you catch that? (laughs) And they're gifted to do that. But for most of us, I think what he sees when it comes to evangelism, that our primary mode of proclaiming the gospel will not be with boldness and clarity in public settings. I think he thinks that the primary way we will speak about Jesus will be in response to people's questions. Which implies what? Which implies that in some way, we are living lives worth questioning. He says, this is your primary evangelistic mission. Live a questionable life. And you know, Walker Harbor, when I look around at all of you, I see a lot of very questionable people. (laughs) A lot of you live really questionable lives. What? You spend your nights and weekends hanging out with hundreds of teenagers? What? You give up your Monday nights to mentor single moms and get them back on their feet? Really? You've given your whole lives to serving alongside and loving people that society usually ignores? You're pretty questionable. But when you live your lives in such a questionable way, you are helping the people around you taste and see who God is. A God who sees people that society might ignore and says they matter and he loves them. He cares about people's physical needs. You're showing them a God who is good. He says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. When I think about salt, I think of my grandma, as you do. She used to love to cook, and I always used to love to eat. Well, I still do. I always love to eat. But I was always very happy to go to her house when she was cooking something, and she used to love to use a lot of salt. She loved it so much that one year for Christmas, somebody got her a salt lick. You know, like you give, like, for cows, and they lick it, and like that. They got her one of those for Christmas as a practical joke. Well, she thought it was hilarious, and she kept it in her hallway, just in case anybody needed a little lick on their way by. (laughs) I will admit, I licked it once. (laughs) It was not good. (laughs) It was not good. (laughs) Because salt isn't meant to be tasted on its own. It's meant to bring out the flavor of the thing that it's salting. Just think about taking a bite of bacon. Yeah, it's salty. That doesn't taste like salt. It tastes like bacon. Now I'm hungry. It's the same way with light. When we walk into a room, we don't turn on the light and then look at it. Ow. Actually, I just did that. That was a mistake. (laughs) It helps us see what is in the room. When it comes down to it, salt and light help us taste and see. Several years ago, I read a book by Rosaria Butterfield. It was called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And I totally recommend it, by the way. 
And in this book, she tells the story of her coming to faith through her interactions with Christians. She was a tenured professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University, and she considered herself to be very anti-Christian. Her experiences with Christians up to this point hadn't been wonderful, and she had a pretty good idea of what they thought of her, and by extension, what God thought of her. One day, Rosaria wrote an article for the local newspaper heavily criticizing the Promise Keepers movement, a Christian organization of men who had been putting on a conference. And yeah, there are some different opinions of them for sure. But she said it would be the downfall of society. She was not a fan. Of course, she received a lot of fan mail and a lot of hate mail for this article. But then one letter she received was neither. It was a letter from a local pastor named Ken Smith. Ken wrote that he would love to ask her more about what she was saying, where she was coming from. He wanted to ask her questions, so he invited her over for dinner. And she thought, okay, this will be good for my research as I can, you know, get into what these weird Christians are doing. So she went. And she went, and she went, and she went. Because every week, she kept being loved And people were engaging with her and her ideas and asking questions and not shutting her down. She said that she was never a project. In fact, she said they never invited her to church, so she knew she was safe to be their friend and not be a project. I'm not advocating that you don't invite people to church. But she didn't feel they were trying to convert her. She felt like they were just loving her. And she said, quote, I was the enemy and they loved me and they kept loving me. And she says, I will tell you that had I not spent years living the word with Ken and Floyd Smith, I never would have been able to taste and see that the Lord is good. The way Ken and Floyd Smith loved her in the name of Jesus revealed to her a God who loved her. Well, Rosaria did eventually come to faith after several years of spending time with these people, and then she got into her Bible, and you know how God does sometimes when he just gets you. So she really wanted to share God's love with her neighbors, just like what had been done for her. So she went out and got a picnic table and put it in her front yard, painted it bright green. This isn't hers. It's just a pretty picnic table. She put it in the front yard, took a picture of it, posted it on the Nextdoor app, and they said, hi, we're the Butterfields. Meet every Tuesday at the green picnic table, and we're going to go on a prayer walk. So some people started to come. She said some people wanted to come and pray for the neighbors. Some people wanted to come and see what these weird Christians were doing, because a procession of prayer walkers is kind of weird. But eventually people started to come and they started to pray and they would walk through the neighborhood and eventually neighbors who had a prayer need would sit out on their porch and wait for the prayer walker procession to come by so they could could share their prayer requests and get somebody to pray with them. And God was moving in their neighborhood. Well, I read this story and I was super excited and I was going to do the exact same thing. I said, Sean, I need a picnic table. I need some green paint. We're going to put it in the front yard, and everybody in our neighborhood is going to know Jesus. Well, Sean, who is the string to my helium balloon, said, okay, we live on a busy street on the corner 
car is always whipping by. We don't have a sidewalk. And it's winter. Do I need to go on? <sighs> Somebody always has to be the voice of reason. It wasn't going to work. But as I prayed about it, and I said, God, but I want to do something with my neighbors. He started to show me opportunities of what I did have on my street. I had a couple of houses who also had young kids. So I felt the Lord calling me to lean into those relationships. And that's what we ended up doing. And it was really fun. We even had a neighborhood Easter egg hunt one year where <laughs> we told the, you know, you find like the little eggs and they have the story of the Google resurrection eggs. Anyway, we did that. And one of my neighbors actually said to me that she had never heard the Easter story before. And that really surprised me. I thought everybody knew that, but they don't. But the point is, I wanted to do exactly what she did because that sounded like fun and it worked well for her. But what she did wasn't going to work in my context and with my gifts and it just wasn't going to work for me. So God showed me opportunities to love the people where I did live. Walker Harbor, how is God calling you to be salt and light in your neighborhood, in your workplace? In the grocery store. I've heard some grocery store stories from you people. You're cool. Are people who encounter you able to taste and see that God is good? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In Jesus' day, there were a group of Jews called the Essenes. Funny enough, just a little side note, this was a question on one of my exams I took this weekend, and I totally got the answer right because I had just studied it for this. <laughs> but they called themselves the sons of light, and they sought to separate themselves from what they perceived as the darkness and evil of the world. They thought their mission was to stay pure and kind of hide and wait until something happened. But Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. But it's tempting to do that, right? I've seen it. I've done it. Maybe you've seen it or done it. Pastor Brad Nelson, formerly of Mars Hill Church in Granville, writes this. Wally texted me this earlier this week, and I was like, get that guy's permission. I am quoting him. He said, in the same way that salt's place is in food, light is meant for darkness. Light pursues darkness, invades it, permeates it, and seeks it out, makes its home there. In doing so, makes it lit. <laughs> Being salt and light doesn't mean that we separate ourselves from the world around us, but to enter into it. Allowing ourselves to be used for the purpose for which God has created us. Unsalty salt can't fulfill its purpose. Jesus said it might, get, might as well be trampled underfoot. It's not doing anybody any good. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are. You already are. You are the light of the world. You were created with a purpose. Pastor John Piper said, people don't enjoy salt 
They enjoy what is salty. We are the salt of the earth. We don't exist for ourselves. We don't exist for ourselves. Isn't that like equal parts challenging and also awesome? We need each other. If you're not an evangelist, you're still salt and light. What kind of flavor are we revealing to the world? When people see our lives, are they glorifying our Father in heaven? How can we live in such a way that when people see our life, they say, who is that God that they serve? I have some follow-up questions. And then, as Peter and Paul tell us, we'll be ready to give an answer. Before we wrap up, I know there are stories that you all have, ways that you have seen or experienced God through something a little salty or a little bright. Will you be willing to share that story with us? If you're new here, this is totally normal. We love to make people talk back with us. (laughs) But would you be willing to, we'll we'll pass the microphone to you just so that we can hear you to share a little story of where you've seen God revealing himself through something someone did, said, just showing you a little of his character. I can share. This is really loud. Um, (laughs) This month has been um, a dark month for me, and I've seen the light um, from other Christ followers um, and who have dropped a note of encouragement, who've dropped, um, who, you know, didn't even know what was going on, but felt that they needed to reach out and just connect. Um, So I've seen that in just little ways, um, but certainly in ways that I wouldn't have seen if I wasn't in that dark place, Hmm. too. Um, So I've seen that from a lot of you. I had to pause just because there's so many, so many all throughout my life, but just a small one that comes to mind is like a year ago, I had like, we all had COVID and it was just like the smallest form of COVID ever, but one of my friends found out, actually two of them, one of them, my friend right here, brought um, my kids a game because we were isolating um, Harry Potter trivia. And another friend um, brought uh, like just tons of food for the freezer and all these vitamins. And she has six kids and owns a business like that is a teacher for kids. So it's just, I've had so many things like that, but that was, it's always like the questions, like you said, like, oh, how are people thinking about me? It's really touching. Definitely points out a God that would think about me or us. So, That's awesome. Right? <laughs> I don't want to embarrass anybody here. Um, <laughs> so I'll just use initials. Um, those initials would be Jordan Vault. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, Jordan works here at Three Mile Project and um, Friday evening um, and this sounds like no small thing or like a small thing but Jordan was running his own little dance party here on the dance floor (laughs) 
um, for probably 100 kids, and I have video of, of it. I wish we could, could show the video. Um, Jordan, you embarrassed yet? Or are you okay? <laughs> All right. So Jordan was up on stage running his dance party, playing Miley Cyrus and whatever else the kids wanted to, to bop around to. And Jordan was on stage dancing along, kind of leading the, the party. Perfect example, Sarah, of what you're talking about. We weren't sharing the gospel. We weren't discipling kids. But the prayer is in this place that as kids were dancing and watching Jordan lead this, this party and, and exhibiting joy on the stage, that that kind of exuberance and joy is, is catchable. And I know that Jordan knows a lot of the kids in the building and interacts with a lot of the kids in the building. And I don't know if it's happened yet, but my suspicion is at some point, some kid is going to say, Jordan, I want what you got. Where in the world does it come from? And so um, for me to stand on the side and maybe shoot a little video Friday night of Jordan just sharing his joy um, with those kids is a perfect example of, of what you're talking about, of, of you know, not necessarily verbal evangelism, but definitely um, a physical example of the joy that comes from, from knowing Jesus. Jordan. I concur. Jordan is amazing. <laughs> I find this church <clears throat> is an example of salt and light. Uh, three weeks ago, my wife had to go to the hospital, and my car wouldn't start. So I called Bruce, and he came over and said, you get the tools, I'll take the battery out, and I'll put the new one in. So we did that. Then that Sunday, another member of the church met me at Sam's. I was getting gas before I headed to the hospital. And uh, they give me a card for Myers for $100. This church exuberates salt and light. This is fun. Mm -hmm. I can let it be awkward if anybody needs another minute. <laughs> all right awesome well thank you so much for sharing those you guys what a blast what a joy <sighs> let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven a very wise man once said last week <clears throat> the invitation is participation you didn't know I was going to put that on there, did you? <laughs> it's an invitation for participation. And isn't that fun? Everything you guys said today was so fun. Such a joy. And now we're going to um, go into a time of musical worship where we sing our response to God who is so good while they walk up here. Let's pray together. Lord, we bless you and praise you for your goodness, for your love for your faithfulness, for the ways that you show up exactly when we need something, nudging someone to say yes to sending a message or to giving a gift card, fixing a car, just the joy you put in people as they dance with teenagers. God, we praise you 
praise you for the ways that you are working and moving in this community, in this church, in Walker, in this world, Lord. We praise you because you are so good.